You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Very good morning to you. Hope you're doing all right. Um, for those of you I haven't met before, if it's your first week or I haven't had a chance to chat to you, my name's Rich. I'm part of the church here. Uh, we know that we have new people with us every week and we absolutely having, love having new faces around. I'd really encourage you to stick around at the end. We'd love to get to know you more. If you haven't been around for any of the other sermons in this series, we're looking at the second book of the Bible, Exodus, at the story of Moses. Um, This is like the sixth week, and I've been waiting, you know, I've got lots of friends, say, who don't know loads about the church, but if you say Moses to them, they would say, ah, the Prince of Egypt. The film, The Prince of Egypt, yeah, we've seen this film? Great film, I loved it as a kid, and um, I've just been waiting week after week after week for somebody to mention the Prince of Egypt, and then to say, what about that song by Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston? You know, that classic song. I just feel we've gone too many weeks without mentioning <laughs> When You Believe. I want to sing it. We're going to put it on. It's the first five minutes of the sermon. Is that? No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> no. Well, Pete will sing it to the end if you really feel like you need to. Um, so yeah, so you might know the story of Moses. You might know of him in Egypt and the Israelites, the people of God, coming out through the parting of the Red Sea. That's quite famous. Quite a lot of people know that. So if you don't know anything else about Moses, then, um, then that's part of what we've been looking at so far. Now, the Bible is one big story. We're looking at this second book of the Bible, Exodus, but we'd be silly if we thought of that as an isolated story not connected to the whole rest of the Bible. So something we're going to be looking at today is how this story fits in with the big picture of history of his story, of God's story. We find that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, everything is pointing towards Jesus Christ. As a church, we love Jesus, don't we? We're mad about him. We're singing about him. We want to know him more. We'd love to tell the rest of this borough about Jesus. But the story of the whole Bible points to him. Jesus did this Bible study, which, if I'm honest, it's the one Bible study in history that I'd love to have been there. If I've got a time machine, maybe I'll go back to then. He takes his disciples, his friends, and he says, I'm going to go through all of the Old Testament. I'm going to show you how every story points to me. It's like there's a golden thread. If you think of the Bible as a tapestry, there's this one beautiful golden thread all the way through that if you look close enough, you can see every story, including the passage we're going to look at today, is pointing to the hero, the pinnacle, the absolute savior, Jesus. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at this part of Exodus, but we're going to look at it in the context of the whole Bible and see how there's this golden thread that goes through it. Let me set the stage before we read the Bible passage. If you've got a Bible and you want to turn to Exodus 33, that's where we're going to be. The the scene in Exodus 33 is this, that obviously um, Moses has delivered the people out of Egypt, so God's people are now on like a 10-month little trip to the bottom of Mount Sinai. They are camping. I don't know if you like camping, but they're all in their tents at the bottom of this mountain. Moses has gone up to the top of the mountain, and God has delivered to him the Ten Commandments. Again, maybe if you don't know much about the Bible, you're just here looking in, you'd have heard of the Ten Commandments. God meets Moses, gives him the Ten Commandments, and then the people make a covenant, like a contract with God, and say, all right, this is the way you want us to live, We'll live by it. And they even declare, yes, we're going to live by your way. Even whilst Moses is up the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, the people of God, in their hundreds of thousands and their millions at the the foot of this mountain, decide, actually, we're going to break this covenant. They create 
an idol, something that God has specifically told them not to do in the Ten Commandments. And they have created suddenly a barrier. They've broken the fellowship with God right there and then at the foot of the mountain. Straight away, there's this divide where they have gone against what God's asked them to do. And they've worshipped this idol instead of God. Instead of God being the hero and the pinnacle and the main thing in their lives, as a people, they've said, actually, we're going to make a substitute. Now, that means that they've broken their promise to God. And the conversation between Moses and God just before this passage goes a bit like this. God says to Moses, you need to go back down to the bottom of the mountain and see what's happened. The people of God, my people, have turned away. They've turned away from me, even as I've been telling them how I want them to live. And Moses says, oh God, don't turn away from us. Please forgive us. Please forgive these people. Please don't remove your presence from us. And he says, actually, from now on, maybe I'll just send an angel with you. When you go into the promised land, when you go into the lands, I'm not sure I'm going to be your God. I'm not sure you can be my people now. There's been this separation. So immediately, just before this passage, we have this conversation between God and Moses. And then, right in the middle of it, we get these verses in Exodus 33. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. But whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would watch, would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he'd gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud, we're going to look at what this pillar of cloud is, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his own tent door. Here's an amazing verse for you. The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. This is the verse we're going to look at. I'm just going to pray and ask that God would come and speak to us. Father, we know you love to speak to us. We are willing hearers today. Just see us with our hearts open to you, our minds open to you, and come and speak to us from this Bible passage. We pray for those of us here who are believers, those of us who would say, yes, we are Christians. Come and draw us closer to you. Show us more of yourself and more of this golden thread of Jesus throughout the whole Bible. And for anyone here who feels more like they're on the outside looking in, we pray, would you come and draw close to them and speak to them too? Amen. Great, so we've got this Bible passage. We're going to look at three ways that there's a golden thread of the story of the whole of history and Jesus as the pinnacle in these few verses. I'm going to explain it a bit like this, that when we look at a Bible passage, you can look at it at two levels, especially in the Old Testament. So you look at a story, and it's like down here, the normal level. It's not a story in that it's fictional. It's a narrative, something that really happened, but we're down here. It's the story of a tent. Story of a pillar of cloud. Story of a guy going into a tent and people watching as he does it. That's the surface level. But then, as I say, there's this beautiful narrative over the course of history, which I'm going to stand on my tiptoes when I talk about, up here where we can see this golden thread. Lots and lots of hints, lots of nudges, lots of parallels between this story and the story of Jesus. The story of what God is doing over the course of history. So we're going to look at these three things at the surface, and then we're going to go 
above and say, well, how does this fit into the beautiful tapestry of the Bible? The three are this, the cloud, the friend, and the way. So we're going to start off with the cloud. So you might obviously come to this passage, especially if you don't know um, much about the Bible, say, well, this is a little bit weird. There's a pillar of cloud, and it doesn't seem to explain anything about that. It's just kind of throwing it out there. So if you're part of the church, you don't worry. I'm not going to say that the key thing for us to take from this passage is that as a church, we need to get a cloud. Yeah? Not an iCloud. We're not going to suddenly say the key takeaway message is that we need to invest in cloud technology. We're not going to meet on a Sunday. We're all going to watch it from our beds on our iPads. No. But there is this cloud here. So let me explain a little bit about what, about what this means. So where do you think God is? There's a question for you. Where is God? We believe that God is spirit. We believe that God, at certain times in the Old Testament, wanted to very clearly show his people, I am your God, you are my people. So out of the goodness of his heart, out of his grace, he said, I'm going to make it really obvious to you that I'm here with you. I'm going to make a tangible, we could say like a manifestation of my spirit, of my presence with you. Because otherwise, how are you going to know that I'm your God and you're my people and that I'm for you, I'm on your side? And so in this case, it's different in different places. In this case, in this story, God says, I am with you by a pillar of cloud, literally by a cloud. Something that you can see and touch and hear. That's God saying, I'm with you. I'm on your side. You're my people. I'm your God. That's where this pillar of cloud comes in. It benefits us to know, it benefited the people to know that God was with them. But as I've already referred to, there's like a tension in this chapter. Commentators and experts on the, on the Bible and on this story would say there's this tension where the people of God have, have kind of gone against the contract they've made with God. They've let him down. They've made idols. And they are genuinely wondering at this point in the story, are we still going to be God's people? Is God still going to be our God? We've broken this contract already. So when they see this pillar of cloud, there's a sense even of, is this the last time God's going to be with us? It's a scary thought for them. Are we going to stop being God's people from now on? So there's this sense of God with them, but there's a tension. Is that going to still be the case tomorrow? Okay, so that's the surface level of the cloud. I just want to go straight away to how does God being tangibly present on earth fit into the whole story of the Bible? If you're a Christian, you'll probably know quite a lot of this, but God being present in the first half of the Bible in the Old Testament, like tangibly here on earth, happens in a few different ways. So you get here in the tent, God is specifically intensely in one place on earth. It's not that he's everywhere on earth that intensely, but in this tent meeting with Moses. And then a bigger tent, a tabernacle. God is intensely there by his spirit. He's like saying, yeah, I'm with you. You're my people, I'm your God, I'm here. And then you get in the temple, if you read a little bit further on. God is by his spirit very intensely in one place on earth. You get some people who have the Holy Spirit. They know God his spirit in them, enabling them, equipping them, inspiring them, developing them, leading them, guiding them. But it's not lots of people. It's one or two people. If you know the first half of the Bible of the Old Testament, you know that it's not like God, by his spirit, is working everywhere in all places, in all people. It's like quite specific places and quite specific people. And then we move it on a little bit, and a guy called Joel in the Bible Led by God says this prophetically, one day it won't be the case 
that God is present on earth only with one person or in one place. Instead, the young men and the old men, the young women, the old women, servants and rulers, all of my people will have God living poured out in their lives. It will be the case that God won't be present in one place, but in all of the people, in their thousands. Now we look around the world, over two billion Christians, and we'd say, okay, God now, the meeting place of God on earth is in us. There's no one intense place where God is like a temple. He's in us. Okay, I've described this golden thread kind of up here, this tapestry. It always leads to Jesus. And so we see the transition from Joel promising that happening. Suddenly, Jesus' mum and Jesus' auntie, the Holy Spirit, is at work with them. It's like there's a flurry of activity as Jesus comes on the scene. God isn't just in one place. He's happening around here and there. And then the life of Jesus. Oh, the life of Jesus. He lives as a man on earth. And he is 100% led and inspired and guided and developed. And in every way led by God, the Holy Spirit. He sets this perfect template of what it's like to be a person as a temple of God. He sets this perfect scenario. And what happens in the life of Jesus? It all kicks off. My goodness. Everywhere around him, people's lives are being changed because he is the perfect example of God present in a place on earth. And it goes from being generally that God is in one place to God is here on earth in a person. Jesus loves to flip things around. So you'd think, hey, this is the best ever visitation of God to earth, isn't it? Maybe we should just stick with this. And then he goes, Haha, actually, no, Joel prophesied that it wouldn't be one person, it would be loads. So believe it or not, I'm going to go. I'm going to leave earth. And instead, I'm going to pour my spirit out on you. And it's going to go from one person with lives being changed everywhere because of the work of God on earth to millions and billions. And so we now are the temple. We now are the meeting place of God, if you like. Okay, that's all kind of theological and theoretical. Here's some questions for you then. If you're a Christian here, when you come to a meeting or when you're thinking about where God is, do you sometimes think because of the words we sing, we're going to wait for God to turn up? It's easy to think that sometimes by the way that we sing and by the way that we speak. I'd encourage you, if you're a Christian here, you're the meeting place of God. You are the meeting place of God. God has designed it and chosen it now that there's no building where he is particularly intensely here on earth. You are. God intensely here on earth. Amazing, amazing, isn't it? So let's have that theology when we come to worship, when we come to pray. We were not so much God, we just, we're going to wait here until you fill this room because you're like a gas. No, you are here by your spirit. Start off by saying, yep, God's here. God is here. Instead, I find what the New Testament is teaching is that we need to be more and more influenced by the Holy Spirit, getting under his influence. So really our responsibility, and you can do this today if you're a Christian, is to say, God, You are here in me. I'm going to surrender more. I'm going to give more of myself and my life to you rather than will you turn up more? I surrender myself more. Is that helpful? If you are here maybe and you feel like you're looking in on the church, you're looking in on Christianity, and there will be people like that today, let me just describe a couple of things that I have found in the lives of friends of mine who wouldn't say they were Christians, but they would say that the Spirit of God, God's Spirit on earth, has still influenced them. A couple of ways that it can happen. 
Number one, you sometimes find that somebody who doesn't really know God that well or wouldn't say they're a Christian, as they're around lots of other Christians and as they're around people who are filled with the Spirit, suddenly there's a sense of, there's a hole in my life. There's a gap. One thing that God, by His Spirit, can do in somebody who's just looking in from the outside is start to draw out a realization that something's missing. That could be happening to you today. That could be happening to you over the last few months, or that could happen to you in the next little while. You just start to get this sense. It's not been around before. What is this weird feeling? There's like a gap. There's like a hole that I need to fill. Okay, one other thing that can sometimes happen is when you're, say, in a meeting like this, and there are people full of God's Spirit praising, you just get a sense, I'm somehow not right with God. I've somehow let him down. I feel like I've not met his standard. And that can happen as well. Even if you wouldn't say you're a Christian, that's something that God by his Holy Spirit here on earth can do. Hopefully that's helpful for you if you're just looking in on the church and you've started to feel those things. Today we're going to give an opportunity for you to respond. And as we'll talk a little bit more, there'll be an opportunity at the end for you to pray and ask God to come and fill your life. Great. Okay, so that is the cloud. Moving on, the second way that there's this beautiful golden thread of Jesus throughout the story of Moses is this. The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. If you ever read the Bible, a good way to read it, a good way to get kind of involved in it is to imagine you're standing in the footsteps of somebody in the story. So I want us to imagine we are each standing at the door of our tent. don't know whether you've got a nice big tent, whether you've got a little tent. It's a little one man or it's a massive one. You're standing at the front of your tent and you're watching as Moses walks past you. And Moses walks probably a thousand yards, they reckon, outside of the camp. You see him go off into the distance and he meets with God. What are you thinking? What are you thinking as you're standing there? It's a good way to look at the Bible and the Bible story. How would you feel if you were there? I think partly you'd feel like, I really hope that conversation goes well. Because I don't know whether God's still going to be our God anymore. My goodness, a lot's riding on this conversation. I really hope Moses doesn't mess it up. You'd be thinking, goodness me, I want to know what's going on in that tent. Because I'm not there. I'm not in the tent. I'm not meeting face to face with God. You might also, you're standing there looking at your tent. You might think, oh, how come he always gets to go and meet with God face to face? He's come back and telling us, probably he does this every day, we think. He's come back and telling us what he's meeting with God. Why am I standing over here by my tent? It does say in the passage that people would go over, people who were inquiring of God would go over to the tent and meet him. But nobody else meets God face to face. Nobody else. It's a privilege that Moses has. And more than just him meeting with God, I mean, there have been other prophets who maybe had dreams. If you're not a Christian here, let me tell you, God can speak to you in dreams. Honestly, I know people personally who have had amazing dreams where God's visited them and spoken to them. So if you're not sure if God exists, maybe ask him for a dream. But God speaks to prophets through dreams or through angels or through some visions. But here, God speaks like a friend. It's not cryptic, it's not in riddles. Moses has this amazing time where it's like talking to a friend. He has this amazing face-to-face. Now, God is spirit. He doesn't physically just plop a face in there. It's more about the word being used here is no. It's like you can see into his eyes, know his character. It's like being known by God and knowing God. It's a two-way conversation. This thing that Moses has in this tent is amazing because 
He gets to know the personality and the emotion and the mood of God by seeing his face, if you like, by knowing what he's like. It would have been unbelievable. But everyone else is just looking in from afar, aren't they? They're just saying, oh, that looks good. That looks good for Moses. What about me? You might feel today like you're looking in from the outside. As I mentioned already, there'll be people here who aren't Christians, who are looking in from the outside, feel like they're just visiting or just trying to work out what's going on here. Maybe you feel unsure or angry or you're just looking around and seeing other people like they've got some kind of connection with God. But let me tell you about a golden thread. Let me tell you about how God is friends with man across the whole Bible. Okay, so it starts in Eden, doesn't it? So Adam and Eve, they're walking with God, they're friends with God. But then they break their own contract with God. They turn away from him and that friendship is broken. And then you just get one person every now and then who's friends with God and close with God. But it's rare. It's virtually impossible. And then you get Moses meeting face to face with God. And it's really unique. But Moses still has to go to a tent to be friends with God, doesn't he? It's not like everywhere he's always talking to God. He's just knowing God face to face. And then Jesus. I honestly feel like as we look through the Old Testament, we should always be saying, and then Jesus. Because there's this beautiful thread going through it of friendship with God. And we get to Jesus and suddenly God is here on earth and friendship with God means friendship with Jesus. There's like a face to the friendship of God. Do you know what I mean? There's a person. God is walking around and Jesus is making friends. He's making friends. Nobody's excluded, are they? Suddenly it's not one person having to go to a tent to be a friend with God to speak to him. Jesus is here. You can just meet him. You can just be friends with him. You can have lunch with him. There's a person... Jesus, who you can be friends with, and it's, it's personal, it's physical. If you're a Christian here, this beautiful thread of the friendship with God throughout the Bible extends through to today, where I'd like just to challenge you, are you having a face-to-face friendship with God at the moment? <laughs> it's, being in relationship with God is amazing, but sometimes... You can have seasons where you feel like face-to-face friendship is a long way. It's a thousand yards outside the camp. Like, you know, I believe in God. I love God. But am I talking to him like a friend at the moment? Am I trying to get to know him more? Am I being allowed to be known by him more? Come on, guys. Let's, let's encu- I'd love to, love to encourage you that today, as we break bread at the end, there'll be an opportunity for you just to come back to God I'd love just to say, if you feel like because of sin in your life, or you feel because of busyness or something else in your life, it's been a long time since you've had a face-to-face with Jesus. Please, today, his grace is enough. His grace is enough for whatever you feel is causing a barrier between you and him. Have a face-to-face with Jesus today. Please. We're going to leave time for it at the end. I'm not talking about piety, about you just saying a prayer because you think those are the words that God wants you to hear. I'm not talking about religion where you just go through the motions of having communion and going to church. I'm talking about friendship. I'm talking about intimate relationship with God. That's where this golden thread leads, is that today we can be friends with God and know him face to face in an even greater way than Moses, who had to go to a tent for it to happen. If you're a Christian here, let me encourage you. Let's press into more and more of the friendship of God. When you pray, be yourself. Don't say fancy words. (laughs) 
Talk like you're talking to a friend, like a father. When you come to worship, it's okay for you to sit there for a little while and just say, God, I feel like life sucks at the moment, but you're my friend, so I know I can tell you about it. I know you love me. That's okay. I'd encourage you to go for authentic friendship and relationship with God. Okay, so that's for a Christian. The friendship thread for a Christian. But what about if you say you're not a Christian today? Well, how does this even apply to you? Well, let me encourage you that you see people with Jesus. He never excludes anyone. Can you be a friend with God today? My answer for you, is, for you is there's no reason why not. There is no reason. No one's excluded. There's no reason that people in here can be friends with God, but you can't. No reason. And I mean that. If you feel for any reason there's a barrier between you and God, God can break that. God is inviting you to a personal relationship with him. You don't need to be good enough. You really don't. You don't need to be a good, perfect person. The world isn't split between good people and bad people. The world is split between those who are friends of God and those who aren't. All of the people who are friends of God are bad people as well, but forgiven by the grace of God. I'd love to encourage you at the end, when we come to make a response, if you'd like to start a friendship with God today, there is no reason that you can't. Okay, finally then, the way. So this last thread of the story of Moses also pointing to the whole global cosmic picture of what God's doing on earth is this. How does the story end for the Israelites? So these Israelites here, the people of God, Moses has gone out to meet with God in the tent. Moses has gone out to be an advocate, to be a Christian word we use quite a lot, a mediator, to go and ask forgiveness, to say, God, please, don't leave us. Don't leave us. We need you to be our God. We want to be your people. We want to repair things. Moses has gone to do that on behalf of the people. What's the best case scenario for the Israelites here? What is the best case scenario? Then Moses walks out one day and says, guys, it's sorted again. Our relationship, our covenant, our contract with God is fixed. Even though you have decided to walk away from God and do whatever the heck you want, it's okay. God's presence is going to stay with us. We're going to be God's people. God's going to be our God. We're going to go to the promised land. That's like the dream scenario, the absolute dream scenario. But these guys standing at the front of their tent, they've got no idea if that's going to happen. There's this tension in this passage. They don't know, is that going to be the case? And they can't do anything about it. Imagine you're standing in this tent. How can you convince God? You've not got a face-to-face friendship with God. You've not got any access to God in this tent. What can you do to change his mind? You're standing there like an observer waiting as somebody else goes on your behalf, your champion, to say, God, be our God. Allow these people to be your people again. They're helpless, these Israelites. They can't do anything. They have rebelled. They've distanced themselves from God. And Moses... Well, their future almost lies with him, with the outcome of this relationship, this conversation. Does this make sense? Is this making some sense? There's a whole load of people waiting for someone else to go and sort it out for them. I'm sure lots of you can see where the golden thread is going on this one. Moses is the only one who didn't build the calf, isn't he? He's the one who hasn't broken relationship with God. He's the one out of everybody who's untainted by this sin. 
Okay. Golden thread of golden threads then. Let's look at how that surface level story compares to the life, death, burial, resurrection, and hope of Jesus Christ. Okay, so Moses, yeah? Let me describe Moses for you. He's a guy who, when he was born, an ungodly ruler at the time was killing firstborn children, and he had to go to Egypt, didn't he? Almost like to hide so that he wasn't killed. That's, that's the story. And then as he grows up, he realizes he's got a calling to redeem a people, to be the person who brings people out of slavery. What else do we know about Moses? Well, he has a moment where he sees the glory of God and his face shines. Amazing. We know that he has access to a relationship with God that is unprecedented. Who does that sound like? Who does this mediator, this one person who's untainted by the sins of the rest, who goes to bargain, who goes to deal with the sin and sort everything out for the people, who does that sound like? Jesus. There's this beautiful thread going through. Jesus. As he was born, the firstborn was being killed. So he goes to Egypt, doesn't he? And he almost hides there for a while. And then as he grows up, he realizes, I'm a guy with a calling to rescue people out of slavery. He has a moment, doesn't he, where he sees the glory of God and his face is transfigured, it's shining. He has unprecedented access to God, doesn't he? He is the one, the one who is untainted by our sin who's able to go for us as our mediator and our advocate. He's the champion. He's the hero. He is the better Moses. What a beautiful story we've got in the second book of the Bible. Thousands of years before Jesus, we've got this beautiful golden thread of salvation and of redemption. (laughs) It's amazing. Okay, we hold up the Bible then to ourselves as a mirror, and we look in it, and we find that, We are like the Israelites. We have ourselves chosen to idolize other things over God. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing this. This is not your worldview, not the way you've thought of things. But the Bible describes that if you put yourself up and look in the mirror of the Bible, that you've chosen to rebel against God. Maybe you live for yourself. Maybe the most important thing, the idol, if you like, in your life is your career or your success or fame or maybe it's something more subtle. Maybe you are just choosing to live in a way that's not for God. That's like the Israelites. But the problem is, it's a bit like you're standing at the foot of a tent. What can you do about it? What can we do about it? We don't have the authority just to twist God's arm and be like, no, God, it's okay. The contract's back on. We can't repair this situation. We're like the Israelites watching someone else go and saying, oh, I hope this goes well. I hope this gets sorted out because we're helpless. There's this verse in 2 Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy 2, which I think is going to come up on the screen. There is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. We need to hold our hands up and say, we need a hero. (laughs) We need a mediator. We need someone to go and resolve this situation. There's an amazing chapter in Hebrews where this is described to do with tents, just like this Exodus story where it says, Jesus offers himself to purify our conscience by going through the greater tent. 
It says that he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who sinned under the first covenant can receive an eternal promise. So here's how I want to finish. As I was praying about how to finish, this is all I could see in my mind. Is I want us to put our feet back at the front of our tent and imagine us as the story closes out. But this time, it's not Moses who walks through the camp. <laughs> this time, it's Jesus that walks through the camp. And so we're standing at the front of our tents. Maybe that signifies our lives. And we're stuck. And we see Jesus walk past us, and he looks at you. Imagine yourself in these, in these surroundings. He looks at you, and he says, I'll go for you. And he walks out. He walks out of the camp. <laughs> the... That Jesus, when he was crucified, he was out of the camp, wasn't he? He was out of the city. And he walks out, and you just see his back as he goes, and he's fixed. I'm going to go and do this. I'm going to go and sort this out. And he walks a thousand yards and goes into the tent. <coughs> you know, in the tent and in his conversations with God, we, see, we read that Moses says, I know someone's got to deal with this. I know someone's going to die. Moses actually says, if you're going to blot out all these people, Blot me out first. Take me instead. So you're standing, you've seen Jesus, and he's gone as your advocate, as the one who's going to deal with the idle problem that you've had in your life and bring you back into relationship with God. And you hear this rumor then that he's died, that he's gone and died in your place so that you can go into the promised land. And it's amazing, but it's sombering, and there's silence in the camp. And you look around and everyone's looking at each other like, well, what next? Nothing happens for a day. Nothing happens for another day. And then on the third day, you hear this other rumor. There's, a, there's someone out by the tent. There's someone out by the tent. And you decide, all right, come on, guys, let's, let's walk. And you walk 900 yards of the 1,000 yards and you go out there and you see Jesus as only God could do, he has come back to life. He's beaten death. He has won the victory over your sin, over the idolatry problem that you've had. He has won the victory. And here's the beautiful part of the story. He doesn't say, and so that's it, guys. Thumbs up. He rips away the whole front of the tent. And he says, come in. Come in. It's not just that your problem's dealt with now. It's that now, it's not just one man who comes into relationship, to friendship, to face-to-face -to -face with God. You're all coming with me. And you walk the last hundred yards, and you go into the tent, and you find in the tent, it's not just that things are back to normal, back to neutral, but you've got a new identity. Not just even as a friend of God, but as a child of God. You've got the unprecedented access that Jesus has with the Father now, for eternity, the promised land for us isn't that we move locations somewhere a bit further down the road and pitch our tent there. It's that we, once and for all, are in relationship with the good God. That now Jesus has dealt with the consequences. And when we look at the Father, all he's saying, all he is saying is come in. Come into the tent. Run to me. That sin problem, that idolatry, oh, that's dealt with. Jesus has done that. He's died. He's been away for three days. He's back. And they're just saying, come on, come in, come in 
I want to know you. I want you to just sit on my lap. I'm your father. We can have an amazing journey together. And that's how this story ends on the golden thread, is that Jesus welcomes us in. Okay, that's, that's the end. I just want to bring out two responses then. It's all very well looking at golden threads and looking at theology and looking at theory. It's, not, it's really no good if we just walk out and just don't do anything about it. Is it? I, don't, I don't know about you, I feel like that would be a bit of a waste of time. Um, so what we're going to do is, is two things. If you um, would say today you're not sure you're a Christian, you're not sure you've ever had a friendship, a relationship with God, you couldn't say that you've returned to God, then what I'd love to do is in a minute we're all just going to close our eyes. And if you feel like today you would like to start a friendship, a relationship with God, you'd like Jesus to go on your behalf and bring you back into relationship with God. I'll be honest with you, you might not know all the answers. You might have been around for a while and you're waiting to find every fact out before you can make a decision. I'd encourage you, God is just saying, come in, come in. I'd love to know you. I'd love to have a relationship, a friendship face to face with you. And so if you want to make a response in any way to that, just say, yeah, I'd like to know more, or yeah, I want that for myself, or yeah, I'd like to ask some more questions, or yeah, you know what, I've made a decision, I'm coming in. Then I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up when we've all got our eyes closed. And then when we have uh, communion in a minute, I'm going to be encouraging Christians to pray a certain prayer and to respond in some way. If you just sit there and wait, we're then going to sing a song and I'm going to stand at the back. So everyone's going to stand up. It won't be super obvious if you walk towards the back because everyone's going to be standing up anyway. I'm just going to stand at the back. If you'd like to just come and talk to me, I'd love to pray with you and tell you more about what it is to be a friend of God. But the first thing I'm asking you to do is just to put your hand up. As simple as that. Everyone's eyes will be closed, so don't worry too much about people around. Okay, if you're not, sorry, if you are a Christian here, you say, yeah, I'm in a relationship with God. Here's my real encouragement to you. We're going to break bread. We're not all going to come to the front. Someone's going to bring stuff out to you. I want to ask you, when eyes are closed, I'm going to ask people to put their hands up. Do you feel like it's a long time since you've had a real face-to-face with God? Like you keeping him outside the camp. You're keeping that face-to-faceness of your relationship with him way away. I'd like to encourage you today, as you break bread, as you eat the bread and drink the wine, just allow the beauty of the fact that Jesus has died and come back three days later and is now just standing there going like this to come back to you, just to let that wash over you again. And I'd love you just to spend a few minutes just sitting in the presence of God, just saying, I'm back. I want face to face with you. Not, you know, in relationships sometimes talk about you can have a shoulder to shoulder relationship with someone. You know, we're working together, back to back, we're kind of enemies. Do you feel like you're back to back with God? Are you enemies? Or maybe you just feel like you're really busy and you're shoulder to shoulder. We're kind of doing it together. No, I'd encourage you to have some face-to-face with God today. So I'm also going to ask you just to put your hand up as a response. And then in communion, as we break bread and have wine, we'll do that. So why don't we just close your eyes? We'll make a response to God. Okay, so first of all, if you feel like you're here, maybe you feel like you're looking in from the outside, like you're standing at your tent and watching other people talk to God. You wonder why it can't be you and you'd like to know more about having a friendship, a relationship with God. Maybe like earlier on when I was describing the way that the Holy Spirit works, you felt like you've let God down somehow. 
or you've suddenly come to a realization that your life is empty without him. If you feel like you're in that situation, whilst everyone's eyes are closed, I'd love it if you just put your hand up. That's great. We've got some hands up. Everyone else, just keep your eyes closed. If you feel like that's you, all I'm asking is just pop your hand in the air. That's great. We've got some more hands. I'm just going to give it another 10 seconds. If you're sitting there thinking, you know what? I'm not sure. I don't know what to do. Maybe just make the first step of saying, yeah, I'd like to know more, and put your hand up. Okay, that's amazing. You put your hands down. That's good. Okay, and if you're a Christian here, just with everyone's eyes closed again, just the grace of God is here, isn't it? God's good to us. If you just feel like it's been a while since you've had face-to-face with God, would you just, just put your hand up as a way of responding in your heart, just saying, yeah, this is me. <laughs> this is me. I'm side to side. I'm back to back. I just need face to face. Okay, some hands are up. I'll give you another few minutes. It's fine. Sometimes putting a hand up in the air is a great way of you just making a decision. I'm going to get face to face with God today. Great. Plenty of hands. Anybody else? Just as a way of responding in your heart, you just want to say, yeah. Jesus, you've done it all. Now I just want face to face with you. Great, okay, you can put your hands down. Great, feel free to open your eyes. We're going to break bread. If you had your hand up for the first question, then as we're breaking bread, you just sit quietly, that's fine. And as we sing a song, come and find me at the back. If you had your hand up for the second question, as you're breaking bread, maybe don't feel a need to talk to anyone else around you, but just close your eyes and focus on him. For everyone else who didn't have their hands up, I'd encourage you, rather than in groups, we're going to have communion today. We're just going to have it on our own. We're just going to spend a bit of time with God. So maybe just close your eyes as you have the bread and wine. Just thank Jesus for what he's done for you.